0: to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. This episode is airing on Tuesday, February 9th. 2021. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the Book Bistro podcast, Tuesday style. This is your interview and new books episode for the week. Today, we start out with an interview by author Rachel Lynn Solomon. And this is an interview that is most likely to appeal to romance readers, also to fans of young adult fiction. We talk about Rachel's latest novel, The X Talk. We also dive into some of her previous work for young adults. So definitely pay attention to that if you are looking for very cool, multi layered romances. Now, Let us do the usual housekeeping information, then we'll dive right into the interview. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro Podcast. This is Shannon, and today I am chatting with author Rachel Lynn Solomon about her latest novel, which was just released, and this is called The X Talk. Rachel, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Shannon. So can we start out with you telling people a little bit about The X Talk?
1: Yes, absolutely. Uh, So the X-Talk is a romantic comedy set in the world of public radio. And it is about Shay and Dominic, who are coworkers forced to pose as exes to host a new show about dating and relationships. And the two of them have always been clashing at work. So when the station needs a new show idea because they've been struggling and Shay pitches a show um, hosted by exes, their boss thinks that they would be perfect given that they already despise each other. Um, Of course, there is the small matter that they have never actually dated, but he figures that because they are always at each other's throats, that everyone would be able to believe that they were exes pretty easily. Um, And, you know, they do not love the idea of lying, but it's this or unemployment. And he, he strongly hints that they might be out of a job if they don't go along with it.
0: Okay, so kind of like a fake relationship, but like a fake ex relationship. I love yes. it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I, I like it.
1: to I like to think of it as a mashup of enemies to lovers and fake dating. See, that that is beautiful.
0: <laughs> and why public radio?
1: So I worked in public radio in college and in my early twenties. And I was really passionate about it. You know, I really was confident that that was going to be my lifelong career. Um, and eventually I I think I just got burned out very quickly. Um, I just, you know, I was working full-time while still in school. And I was just kind of eat, sleep, breathing public radio. And I was extremely competitive and I also felt pulled to fiction, which I was doing on the side. Uh, But I still felt like I might explore it someday in fiction just because it's such a fascinating world. Um, And I think a lot of people, especially regular NPR listeners, would find it really interesting to pull back the curtain and see what's happening there. Um, So I like to think this book has been marinating in my head for the past decade or so, even though I didn't start writing it until three years
0: ago. So my partner is a big fan of NPR, and although it's one of those things that I really admire sort of as a concept, I myself am not a big listener, so I think it's really intriguing to kind of, I don't want to say start my association, but sort of learn more about the behind the scenes stuff, even though it's not something that I take in, you know, kind of in my, my daily life.
1: I've heard that from people too. You know, a lot of people went into this book thinking, oh, radio, music. Uh, And they're surprised to learn that there's this whole other world, Um, especially readers in other countries that, you know, they wouldn't have a a sense of how American radio works or or NPR. So it's been really, really cool to hear responses from people who are unfamiliar with public radio. Um, Because I do think the book, even though it has a lot of references, I think it's still really accessible. And especially because the radio show gains its popularity as a podcast, which I think is just even saying it's ubiquitous at this point, um, It is feels outdated. But um, podcasting is a huge part of it. And I think because so many people are familiar with podcasts, that's a good entry point.
0: Yes, I could agree with that. I think podcasts um, have just become a really big part of life in all sorts of arenas. Um, There's someone who co-hosts this podcast with me and she is a breeder and she does dog sports and she's always talking about, you know, there are so many dog podcasts and dog training podcasts and breeding podcasts. And I just think about my own sort of entry into creating a podcast about books and there's just so much out there. And radio shows are kind of a like a link to podcasting. So I think that's a really valid um, way of describing this.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that was one of the ways that I tried to make this book feel modern because I haven't worked in public radio since 2014 and a lot of it has changed. Um, But adding, you know, some podcast references and then, of course, with the show really taking off as a podcast that um, I think helps it feel more accessible.
0: So how did you kind of make the leap from working in public radio to writing? What was that journey like for you? I actually
1: wrote the very first book that I tried to get published while I was working in radio, um, like literally while I was working in radio. Um, I, my first job out of college and slightly while I was in college, I was working at a commercial station. Uh on a morning show that started at 5 a.m. So I had to uh-huh. be at the station. Yeah, <laughs> so I had to be <laughs> at the station at two and there were there was at least an hour every day where I was the only person in the station um, and I didn't have a ton to do. So I, I didn't actually have my own desk. So what I would do was just open up emails and send myself um, what would later become chapters of the very first book that I um you know, really took seriously in terms of trying to get published. Um, It was not until four books after that that my debut novel came out, though.
0: And your debut novel came out when? In 2018. In 2018. So my introduction to your writing was with You'll Miss Me When I'm Gone. Yes, so that was my first published book. Oh, Okay. Okay, I was thinking that I had like a big backlist of yours. Um, No, yeah, that was the first, first, but I don't. So that one, I actually read for a podcast episode that we did on relationships between sisters, and I was just really intrigued by the concept. So I read it and fell in love with it and then have been um, keeping an eye on what you've come out with since then. So I'm really excited to be able to talk to you both about your current book, but also just sort of your past writing and how you feel like what you've written in the past has influenced who you are as a writer now. Oh, that really
1: means so much to me that you've read that one. Thank you. Uh, and it is interesting because the first, my first two books are kind of heavier, darker, contemporary YA novels. Um, and I was really convinced at the time that that was what I was going to keep writing. Um, but what I was reading were romance novels. And those were the ah, things. Yes. That was, <laughs> yes. And those were what were bringing me just a tremendous amount of joy. And I was like, hmm, what if I tried to do something a little different? Um, so my third book, which came out um, over the summer, Today, Tonight, Tomorrow, was my first YA romantic comedy Um, and then I had this book that just came out and then every book that I have scheduled is a romance or romantic comedy. So I feel really solidly like I have found where I want to be, at least for the foreseeable future.
0: So do, should I not expect to see other things kind of more along the lines of you'll miss me when I'm gone then?
1: Um, you know, I'm definitely not ruling it out, but I do also think that a lot of my romantic comedies deal with some darker themes. And mm-hmm. I I think it does a dis- disservice to r- romance to say that it's just fluffy or, it, you know, it does true. Yeah, and I it sort of irks me when I hear that because, you know, one of the main themes in the X talk is the main character dealing with grief of losing her father. And it was a decade ago, but it still affects her pretty constantly. Um, the book that I'm working on right now, um, another romantic comedy where the main character is actively dealing with depression and in therapy and on medication and dealing with a depressed parent. Um, and I feel like romance and romantic comedies just give us this framework and this comfortable place where we're able to explore these more difficult topics and still feel um, kind of harnessed by the reader. And like they will safely take us to um, an ending that still makes us happy. So it's, it's this safe, comforting space. So you have no idea how happy
0: this conversation is making oh, me. Thank you. I, have glad. Been, I have been a romance reader for probably 20 years now. And one of the things that does always bother me is when you tell people, not all people, but a lot of people, When you tell them, like, oh, you know, I really enjoy romance, whether it's historical romance, contemporary romance, whatever, people just sort of, like, shrug that off and are like, oh, well, you know, that's not anything. Like, you should read serious books. And I'm like, no, you know, there's nothing wrong with finding that happiness at the end. And so I love that you're able to kind of weave in so much, like, aside from the romance arc, you can deal with so many topics that are meaningful and relevant and still have a really enjoyable, joyful experience.
1: Yes, 100%. And I really felt just like the way that people telling you not to read romance novels feel for a good part of my life. And it wasn't until my mid-20s that I rediscovered them. And I was like, why did I ever care that people were judging me for something that makes me happy. <laughs> it's, it's sort of ridiculous when you think that uh, people have an issue with something that brings joy. Um, and now I just feel so strongly, like when someone tells me that they were able to read one of my books, and it distracted them from just the horrors of the pandemic for a few hours. Yeah, um, that's like the biggest compliment and the biggest privilege to be able to provide that. And I, and that's been another reason for, for this shift is I've realized that writing can have this really positive impact. And it just is such an honor to be part of that.
0: So as someone who kind of started out writing YA, was it a difficult transition to start writing books for more of an adult audience?
1: Uh, You know, not as big as I might have thought. And the thing that actually surprised me the most was how much independence my main characters had. Um, Like my main character can just be sitting on the couch drinking a bottle of wine and it's totally okay
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's true she's not like 17
1: right right like 17 that would be like deeply concerning um so and then aside from that just the relationships that they have with their parents and with their friends is very different um my main character in the ex is dealing with a lot of questions about adulthood and what she should have had figured out by this point in her life, you know, things that I'm still deal- still dealing with. Um, so at least for now, some of that feels a little more immediate. Um, but I do still love the, the questions and why um, the big identity questions and just how everything as a teen feels so big. Yeah, I, I love those big emotions. Bad.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yes, like a lot of things, you know, as an adult who really loves the YA space, I sometimes am reading and I'm like, oh, but, you know, in like two months, you might not care about this, like half as much as you do right now. And yet for the characters, everything feels so huge and immediate, even the things that are, you know, smaller and kind of more trivial in a sense.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, with adult, you know, obviously there are still things that are going to deeply impact you, but it you have a bit more ability to step back and and process things. Whereas, you know, as a teen, um, like a small thing can send you into a a spiral.
0: Yes, and you you don't have in some you know in some ways the emotional maturity to deal with the things both large and small that can kind of set you back in any given situation. Right,
1: and both positive and negative too. Yes,
0: yes, absolutely. So as an author like who did start in YA, were there things that you really had to make a point of sort of differentiating, like finding your quote-unquote Adult novel voice versus like your YA voice?
1: That's a good question. Um, I think some of it came naturally because I was the exact age of my main character when I was writing it. Uh, and, you know, I might not <laughs> experience that again for a while. Um, I also really heavily base my voice around the main character's interests and passions. So because she loves public radio so much, I thought about how she would describe the sounds of people's voices and you know, what kind of comparison she would make, you know, at one point she's um, going to do something difficult and she's like, you know, Terry Gross, Audie Cornish, Rachel Martin, like, give me strength. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And whereas, and and I do the same thing in my YA, Um, you know, if I'm writing a musician character, um, their love for music really influences their voice. And that might mean writing, you know, more rhythmically, more lyrically. Um, So yeah, a lot of that comes in editing and revisions.
0: So what is your writing process like? Um, regardless of kind of whether you're writing for teens or adults?
1: I think I've finally found a process that works for me. And it's something I've honed over the past few books. And it always has to start with a complete mess of a first draft. Um, And like, I mean, something that is not even coherent. Uh, (laughs) So I do outline. But then once I open a Word document, I don't edit. I don't look back at anything. I just write. And that means anytime I don't know something, I will leave it blank. So it is not uncommon for my first draft to look like Mad Libs because I just cannot think of, like, something funny to say in that moment. So it'll be like, blank, I say. He laughs. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, because I can't. Or there are a lot of people named Mr. Name. (laughs) Because I just... I, I can't stop to think, of if I don't have something immediately, then I'm moving on. I, so that is how I will write a first draft and those are usually less than a month. Um, then I let it sit for a little bit before I go back in and usually as I'm writing that first draft, I have a sense of things I want to change and it's usually things that I want to just flesh out because that first draft is so thin. Um, and then I will start a new document and start pulling over old chapters and just actually writing them decently. So, so I will take all of that messy language, I will clean it up, and I will really start to discover the voice of my main character. Um, and it's only that draft is the one that people are able to look at and not think I am a complete <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> trash writer. <laughs>
0: So when you're writing that first draft, is it kind of in like a chronological order that makes sense to you? Or do you just write scenes however you see them?
1: Um, So it is in chronological order. Uh, I am working off an outline and I have a sense of the scenes. Um, But a lot of times I can see in my head what I want or see on the page. I'll redo that. A lot of times I can see on the page what I want the rhythm of the scene to feel like, but I don't have the exact words or descriptions yet. So I will, again, just leave blanks for my future self to fill in to kind of mimic what I want the rhythm to be. And then when I go through and edit it, I will actually fill that in with words.
0: So do you find the outlining process to be useful to you then as you're sitting down to write? Or does it feel more like a constraint
1: I know I love it and I need it uh <laughs> I am amazed by people who don't outline because I, I I think my biggest fear would be forgetting what I want to happen oh um I have to write everything down because I am just so obsessive and so worried that I will come up with a brilliant climactic scene and then I won't remember it um So my books, I tend to just make a lot of notes and then kind of put that into an outline. And with my outlines, especially now that I'm writing romantic comedies, I try to follow like classic rom-com beats while, you know, knowing that I can deviate a little bit if the story calls for it.
0: So I have always been a terrible, terrible outliner when I was in grad school. You know, people are always saying, oh, like you can't just sit down and write you know, a 20 page paper, you have to outline it. And I'm like, no, like I, I can't. Like there's just something about my brain that doesn't, doesn't work like that. If I sit down and I say, okay, I'm going to make an outline then it's just like, oh, I guess I'm not writing anything because I just, I can't, I can't think in that way. So it really fascinates me when people talk about how useful they find the outlining process, because that's just not a way that my brain is is comfortable working
1: yeah and i know everyone's brains are so different i am always amazed by all these different processes that people have and how we're all able to create a book from that um so i think part of my outline and actually part of my messy first draft is i am racing to prove to myself that i can write another book like once i hit that i'm usually aiming for fifty thousand words on my first draft i'm like okay once I polish this up, it'll be fully book length um, because part of me is worried every single time I sit down. I'm like, what if I don't have enough to make a book?
0: Right. Like, what if there's just not enough there? hmm. So what have you been reading lately that has made you really happy that you want the world to know about?
1: Yeah. So I recently read and really loved um, How to Fail at Flirting by Denise Williams, Uh, that came out in December.
0: Oh, I've heard good things about that.
1: It's wonderful. Um, It is about a type A professor who makes a to-do list to get out of her comfort zone. And she winds up falling for the guy who is helping consolidate departments at her university. Um, And it is just, the banter is great. I loved the characters. And as someone who loves lists and outlines, (laughs) I found it extremely (laughs) relatable. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I've heard really, really good things about it. I haven't read it yet, but I do have it here. Okay, and, other, oh, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, are there any other fantastic, like either romances or not um, that you've fallen in love with in the past little while? Yeah, the, another one that I really love is Meet Me in Paradise
1: by Libby Hupshire. And that one comes out um, in March. So it's only about a month away um but it is about a kind of anxious introverted woman who makes a plan to go on a tropical vacation with her sister um who is kind of a wild child but her sister misses the plane and the main character ends up alone in paradise and kind of being forced also out of her comfort zone so i think i just really have a thing for people being <laughs> put, like fish out of water kind of stories um and, yes. and it is just it is the writing is stunning um it is absolutely a book to read with a box of tissues and it has one of my all-time favorite meet cutes um the main Ooh. character yeah it's so good so the main character tumbles into the lap of a hot guy during turbulence on a, on an airplane
0: okay now this i'm gonna definitely have to look it's, for <laughs> it's so it great
1: she's a super anxious flyer which I could really relate to and she has not really been on an airplane in a very long time so it's also it just adds so much more um like tension and anxiety and I was just like (laughs) screaming the whole time because it was like hilarious but like frightening as someone with a lot of anxiety it was just wonderful
0: I am a very anxious person just in my everyday life so I can totally identify with that flying like in and of itself doesn't bother me like just sitting here talking to you about it but when I'm actually in that situation it's it's kind of horrifying.
1: I agree I um it's not uncommon for me to just start weeping
0: (laughs) can I get on a flight? Yeah it's there's just so much to be anxious about these days (laughs) yeah so aside from writing and reading books what has kind of kept you sane during this pandemic and this whole kind of different way of life that people have been forced into this past year?
1: Um, You know, a lot of TV, honestly. Um, Speaking of airplanes, you know, my husband and I recently watched Lost all the way through, which was one of his all-time favorite shows, and he had been bugging me about it for, you know, 10 years. And this was finally (laughs) the time that we sat down and did it. And I know a lot of people who have, you know, marathon shows that they've always meant to. Um, But that and, you know cooking and spending time with my dog and, and going on walks.
0: Yeah, I feel like people are sort of having to discover their introverted side. I am like the world's furthest thing from an extrovert. So this has been really okay for me in so many ways. But I know that a lot of people who enjoy sort of person-to-person contact more than I do um, have struggled quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: I I'm right there with you. You know, it's I definitely miss my friends, but um, it's not I, I think it's not as much of a challenge as it might be otherwise.
0: Yeah, I'm just like, OK, like we can talk on Zoom. You know, that's fine. Like, I don't need to actually like, be in the same space with you and, and germs and viruses and blah. <laughs> like I can yeah. just hang out on Zoom with people. That's totally fine.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, I want to thank you so much for joining me today, and also to ask if there are any kind of last minute things that you would like listeners to know um, before we end.
1: Um, no, you know, just that so they can find me at rachelsolomonbooks.com or at RLYNN underscore Solomon on Twitter and Instagram, and that I have another YA novel coming out this June. Ooh, can you tell us anything about that? Yeah, um, so it is called "We Can't Keep Meeting Like This," and it is about a teen harpist and a cater waiter who spend a summer working the same weddings and all of their kind of antics.
0: Okay, this I need. Like, <laughs> thank you. Right now, I had <laughs> a lot of fun with it. It's in June. Yes. All right. So a nice like summer kind of romance book that yes, is beautiful. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much. And congratulations on the publication of the X Talk. Um, Again, readers can find this pretty much wherever books are sold. And it is a ton of fun. So Rachel, thank you so much. And good luck to you with all of your future releases.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Shannon. Take care. You too.
0: Okay, and now it is time to talk about new books. So before I do that, I need to make an amendment to something I said last week. Apparently, A Stranger in Town, which is the sixth installment in Kelly Armstrong's Rockton series, as well as one of Brooke's most anticipated February releases, was scheduled to come out on February 2nd, we thought, but actually it looks as though it's coming out this week. So if you were looking for it last week, I apologize. It's actually out today, it appears. Okay, so let's start by talking about more anticipated February releases. These are books you've heard us mention before. I'm going to um, continue on with one of Brooke's books, since I talked about um, the Kelly Armstrong. So Brooke is looking forward to Black Widows by Kate Quinn. It's out today, and I'm actually really excited about this one as well. Then we have a couple of fantasy novels that Kristen is excited for. We have The Witch's Heart by Genevieve Gornachek, as well as the Iron Raven, which is Evenfall, book one by Julie Kagawa. This is a spin-off from her Iron Fey series. So now I have new books, books that you haven't heard us mention before, and I'm going to start out with a couple of historical novels with World War II tie-ins. First up is The Invisible Woman by Erica Roebuck. This is based on a true story. I was fortunate enough to read an early copy of this novel and really, really loved it. Um, It has all kinds of espionage and intrigue and really, really great historical detail. You can tell that Roebuck did a lot of research for this novel. And just the fact that the heroine is actually someone who really existed I enjoyed that quite a bit. So that is The Invisible Woman, and it is by Erica Roebuck. We then have The Paris Library by Janet Skellian Charles, and this is the story of a group of librarians who managed to defy the Nazis during their occupation of Paris. Um, I don't know a ton about it. It's not a book that I've seen a lot of uh, pre-buzz for, but I definitely want to pick it up. So this is the Paris Library, and it is by Janet Skellion Charles. Hanging out still in the historical realm, but moving into romance, this debut novel has gotten a ton of positive attention, and this is A Lady's Formula for Love. It's book one in the Secret Scientists of London series by Elizabeth Everett. Our heroine is a young woman who has established a sanctuary for some of UK, the UK's most brilliant female scientists. Um, apparently, this isn't very well received in some circles. And so she has a bodyguard who protects her. And apparently she falls in love with said bodyguard. I really love historical romances that feature intelligent women who are kind of stepping out of social norms. I've heard great things about this from a few trusted sources, so I'm really looking forward to it. It is A Lady's Formula for Love, Secret Scientists of London, book one by Elizabeth Everett. We then have The Devil Comes Courting. This is the third installment in The Worth Saga by Courtney Milan. Um, I have not read this particular series by Milan, but I've loved several of her other novels. So this is a series that I plan to check out at some point. This is The Devil Comes Courting, and it is The Worth Saga Book 3 by Courtney Milan. We then have a book that is... Build as exactly what you need if you still have a Bridgerton hangover. So, this is The Spinster and the Rake, Never a Wallflower, Book One by Eva Devon. And this is basically My Fair Lady meets Pride and Prejudice with a secret twist. And I am here for this. I don't so much love Pride and Prejudice, but I do love My Fair Lady, and I absolutely adored The Bridgerton Show, so Regency romances are kind of right in my wheelhouse right now. So I will definitely be checking this out. It is The Spinster and the Rake, Never a Wallflower, book one by Eva Devon. Okay, I'm really excited to talk about this next book. This is Wild Rain. It is the second book in Beverly Jenkins' Women Who Dare series. Um, This talks about a female rancher who falls in love with a newspaper reporter from back east. It is remarkable in pretty much every way. The hero is not the kind of, like, macho, super confident guy that you seen a lot of historicals. Um, He's very, very kind and caring and loves our heroine Spring for exactly who she is without needing her to change. And I just appreciated that about him so much. So this is Wild Rain. It's Women Who Dare, book two by Beverly Jenkins. And then we have a new book by Kerrigan Byrne. This is Dancing with Danger. Good Girls Romance, book three, and this is a series that I do not know a lot about. I am most familiar with Byrne's Victorian Rebel series. Um, I also really like the series that she's writing with, I think it's called The Devil You Know, um, but it is, her books are so dark, and yet the romances are, are beautiful, And I appreciate her so much for that. So I don't know a lot about this Good Girls Romance series, but I love the idea of a title called Dancing with Danger that just makes me really happy. It's kind of like light and fluffy with this little bit of darkness. I don't know. It just makes me really happy. And Kerrigan Byrne is masterful. So this is Dancing with Danger, Good Girls Romance, book three by Kerrigan Byrne. And... I have a couple of paranormal romance slash urban fantasy titles for you. This is The Revelation of Light and Dark. It's Chronicles of the Stone Veil, vale, book one, by Sawyer Bennett. And this intrigues me because Sawyer Bennett is known for her contemporary romances. Some of them have some sports themes. There are a couple about revenge. So I'm really interested to see how she will do a paranormal. So this one is set in a world where demons and fae exist. Apparently there are all these other realms that are separated by invisible veils. And as a really big fan of paranormal kind of world building, I'm eager to see how this is. So this one is The Revelation of Light and Dark, Chronicle of the Stone Veil, book one, by Sawyer Bennett. We then have Dream Hunter. This is Bailey Spade, book two by Dima Zales. And this is an author that I hadn't heard too much about until the end of 2020. And then it seemed like so many people were bringing her up to me and talking about her urban fantasy. So I own a couple of her books and I definitely plan to check her out soon, although I haven't yet. But this one is Dream Hunter, Bailey Spade, book two. And it is by Dima Sales. And let's talk about mysteries, thrillers, psychological suspense, all kinds of things like that. So first up, if you are a Nora Roberts slash J.D. Robb fan, you probably know that February is always the time for a new in-death book. And this week, it's Faithless in Death. In Death, number 52, by J.D. Robb. Apparently, this is about cults. There are so many good cult books coming out right now. Um, I am not current with this series, not at all. But this is a book that I do want to read, even if it means breaking Natalia's rule and skipping ahead to number 52. So this is Faithless in Death, In Death, number 52, by J.D. Robb. We then have The Power Couple by Alex Berenson. This is an author that I have seen brought up in um, social media threads about mysteries. I've seen good reviews of their stuff on Goodreads, but I've never actually read something they've written. So this one, The Power Couple, is... A book that centers around marriages, primarily the secrets that spouses keep from one another. There are so many good psychological thrillers out there about marriage, and I'm really, really loving it. So I want to check this one out. This is The Power Couple by Alex Berenson. Then we have Hide in Place. This is by Amelia Namark. And it's out in audio next week, so February 16th, but if you're looking for print or ebook, you can get it this week. This is about a woman who left the NYPD in disgrace after a case of hers went terribly wrong. And three years later, she's still unable to kind of move on from everything that happened, and this case still haunts her, so she decides that she's going to try to solve it once and for all. This is Hide in Place, and it is by Amelia Neymark. Next up is Possession. This is by Katie Lowe, and full transparency, I read Lowe's first novel, The Furies, um, and I really didn't like it. It wasn't that it was badly written. It was just that the story just didn't work for me. But this one looks really, really great, so I want to check this one out. Um, Even though someone's first book doesn't work for me, it doesn't always mean that another one won't. So I definitely will pick this up. But Possession is the story of a woman who is dealing with the death of her husband. 10 years ago, he died and someone was convicted. The case was closed. You're supposed to just kind of move on, put it behind you. Of course, as we know from mysteries, This is not always possible. And then a true crime podcast comes into the picture and they start investigating this case with startling results. So this is Possession and it is by Katie Lowe. So I want to move on now to some young adult books. We have some historicals and mysteries and fantasy. So I want to talk about Rebel Daughter This is by Lori Banov-Kaufman, and this really excites me because it is set in 7th century Jerusalem and talks about the destruction of Jerusalem, which is something that I know very, very little about. You know, I see Jerusalem mentioned like in the Bible when I was pretty involved in my church. I knew some things about that. Um, and then, of course, we see Israel and Jerusalem kind of brought up in the news today, but I don't know a lot about the history. And so this novel looks right up my alley. It's Rebel Daughter, and it's by Laurie Benov Kaufman. We then have We Are the Ashes, We Are the Fire. This is by Joy McCullough, who is the author of Bloodwater Paint. This is a novel that's told in verse and in regular prose, And it is the story of one teenage girl and her deep desire for revenge after the person responsible for raping her sister gets off with no time behind bars. This is We Are the Ashes, We Are the Fire, and it is by Joy McCullough. We then have The Gilded Ones. This is Deathless, book one, and it is by... Namina Forma. This is a West African inspired fantasy world. And the premise of it is that girls are outcasts, but they're also warriors. And so in many ways, they're responsible for saving the world, even though they are viewed by so many people as less than or as other than. So I'm really fascinated by this. This book has gotten some really good buzz, and I definitely want to pick it up. This is The Gilded Ones, Deathless, book one, by Namina Forna. And lastly, I just want to give a brief mention to Curse of the Divine. This is Ink in the Blood, book two, by Kim Smedgekel. And Ink in the Blood came out last year, and it really, really fascinated me. I think I'm saying a lot of things fascinate me and that's kind of just how it is in the world of books and that's why all these things kind of pile up on my tbr pile and I never actually get to read them all because there are just so many things but this one is pretty unique it talks about magic using ink and I'm guessing it's kind of like runes or sigils perhaps Um, And this is the sequel to that. So I don't know a lot about it. But the things that I've read in just like brief little reviews have been positive. So I wanted to mention it. It is Curse of the Divine Ink in the Blood book two by Kim Smedgekel. And that is all I have for you this week. I hope people are staying safe and warm. It is very, very cold here in the Midwest. And so I hope all of you are doing well and reading fantastic books.